Let's take a moment and just pray. Lord, we thank you and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak. You're speaking already, Lord. We pray that you would fill my words and fill your word, fill our hearts and our minds that we might be led to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he humble himself? Why did he empty himself? Why did he experience the slander and the lies? Why did he allow himself to be betrayed and abandoned and rejected? Why did he submit to the systems of the world and religion? and allow wicked men unjustly to punish him? Why the mocking and the taunting? Why the scourging? Why the thorns? Why was he willing to take divine justice upon himself? He was the only innocent one who ever lived. Why was Jesus willing to be crucified? He did it for you. He did it because of his costly love for you. And if you were the only person on this earth, among all the people who had ever lived, if you were the only one to respond to his love and all others forsook him and rejected him, even still he would have done it. That's how valuable you are to him. He would not have thought it too great a price in order to save you and to bring you to himself. St. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. He has a costly, costly love for you. In Isaiah 53, the prophet writes about the Messiah, the Christ, and says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered among the transgressors. Earlier in our His Story series, We heard John the Baptist cry out, look, 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 the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sacrificed himself for you. Because he loved you. He became the Passover Lamb. His blood poured out, his body broken so that you might be spared God's judgment against sin. It's what theologians call substitutionary sacrifice. Tim Keller wrote, all love, all real life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. You have never loved a broken person, a hurting person, a guilty person, except through substitutionary sacrifice. 
For instance, let's say you are one of the cool kids in school. You're in the popular crowd. And there's a classmate who is anything but popular, a reject, an outcast. Nobody hangs out with her. Nobody likes her. She's all alone. And you, because Jesus tells you to love others, you go and try to make friends with her. The next thing you know, the cool kids who you once hung out with are now around you asking, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with her? What's happening is some of her uncoolness is rubbing off on you. You're not so popular anymore as you hang around with her. And there is no way for you to diminish her aloneness without entering into it and having some of it fall on you. In a sense, you're taking it on yourself. That's substitutionary sacrifice. That's costly love. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. Here's the thing in that example. She didn't do anything wrong to deserve the treatment that she was receiving. She's innocent. But we are not. We are not innocent. Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone our own way. The apostle Paul says, no one is righteous. No, not one. Not one. We do not do the things we know we should do. And we do the things we know we are not supposed to do. We are guilty. I am guilty. You are guilty. The justice of God which is pure and whole and holy, requires that the law be upheld, that sin be punished, or else he ceases to be. The very foundation of existence ceases to be apart from the law being upheld. The Bible says the punishment for sin is death. only physical, spiritual, eternal, separation from the holiest and purest and most beautiful and loveliest and most perfect one there is. Because nothing impure can be in God's presence and live. The good news. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. This one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the very rightness or righteousness of God. Luke says this in that passion that we just read. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour where the sun's light faded. This was no eclipse. This was no sandstorm. This is, this is no natural event going on. This was the judgment of God against sin. 
It was falling on Jesus, the creator, and creation was reeling from it. The day of God's judgment. Isaiah spoke about this day 700 years or so before when he said, see the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will not, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. What's so amazing is that on that day, on that day, the actual day in which Jesus was crucified, the day we call Good Friday, only one among all the people who were in Jerusalem responded on that particular day. There was only one who responded to Jesus's costly love, only one who received his substitutionary sacrifice. And it wasn't the religious leaders. It sure wasn't the politicians. It wasn't the crowds who stood by gawking, watching the spectacle like they watch a tennis match. It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't his beloved Peter. It was the thief on the cross. He alone responded on that day. He alone saw the costly love. But it did not start that way. Mark tells us at the beginning when the three of them were crucified together, those crucified with Jesus also heaped insults on him. But he changed. The thief changed. What was it that changed him? Well, first it was the word of God. Above Jesus' head was placed an inscription that said, this is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the long-awaited Savior, the king of the Jews. And the word of God affects the mind, which affects the heart and produces change. But it wasn't just the word of God. It was the words of Jesus having been crucified after a whole night of these these kangaroo courts with soldiers gambling at his feet for his clothes, the religious leaders mocking him. Jesus responded with costly love saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The written word, spoken word, the actions that lined up with all of it, the humility changed him, saved him. And you you know it. You know it because you can see that he surrendered his will.
That's the way it starts for all of us. With surrendering of our will. And friends, I've been in the church as a pastor long enough among enough people to know that some of you have not yet surrendered your will to Jesus. Well, you don't want to go to hell. You definitely want to go to heaven. But you're still living life as though you're the center, having not actually surrendered your will to him. That's salvation. You're still in control. Your plans, your life, your money, your family, your wants. Just like that other thief, the one who didn't respond to Jesus on the cross. The thief demanded, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Do something about this. Fix it now. Change this. My way. Now think about the last few years. How many times did you demand of God that he fix it? The injustice of it all, not getting your way in a relationship. What are you waiting for, God? Salvation is laying down your will to God. Submitting to God's will. Jesus said, Father, take the cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The repentant thief saw himself for who he was. A thief, a mocker, a rebel, a sinner. And he laid down his will. He stopped making justifications for his behaviors. You don't know how bad I've had it. You don't know what that man did to me. You don't know how the system is working against me. You don't know how awful they have been. But everybody's doing it. No, he laid down his will. He took responsibility for his own sin. He witnessed to who Jesus is. And he surrendered himself to the Lord. Luke says that that repentant thief ended up rebuking the other guy and saying, don't you fear God? Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the starting point for salvation. Don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? He's not looking for an easy way. He's not looking for a simple faith. He's not looking for a religion of comfort. And we are getting what we deserve. Let's put that into an I statement. He's saying, I am getting what I deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He saw him for who he is. He saw what was happening. And Jesus said to him, truly today you will be with me in paradise.
Roy Hessian once said, the blood of Christ does not cleanse excuses, but always cleanses sin, confessed as sin. Have you laid down your will? And I'll tell you, it's more than a one-time thing. It has an initial, but then it's an ongoing process. Luther said, all of life is repentance, which is not miserable once you've laid it down. Oh, it hurts at times. It's an appropriate sound today. God bless them. It looks like not only seeing your sin for what it is, but a willingness to lay down your will when it comes to forgiving others. Like, who are you bitter toward? An ex-spouse? Somebody in your past, a boss, your brother, your sister, a friend that betrayed you. You have to forgive. That's laying down your will, laying down your rights. It's, it's going to the place of the cross. It's going back to the place of repentance, to the place where, Lord, I surrender my right to judge others. Because who am I who have been forgiven by you to judge another? Have mercy on me, a sinner. All of life is repentance. Have you been to the cross? Because when you have the freedom that comes, the freedom that comes from no longer having to run the universe is remarkable. Come to the cross. Lay down your burdens, your sorrows, your shames, your disappointments, and yes, your sin. Lay down your will again to the Lord today. The first time, the hundredth time. He always beckons. His arms are wide open. It's costly love. It's so costly and so open. Those arms are nailed to a cross. Come to me, all you who are weary and burned. I will give you rest, says the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to have mercy upon us who are sinners. We ask you to forgive us. And we ask you, Lord, to pour out upon our true repentance, our faith, our response to your costly love, and give us new life, Lord. Deliver us and set us free and make us clean and make us whole and give us joy. For the sake of Jesus, the merciful and kind Savior. Lord, in his name and for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.